Well, we find in chapter 28 the continuance of Isaac blessing Jacob. Now, it is interesting that Jacob finally came around to what Rebekah knew all along and no doubt conveyed to Isaac that the elder would be served, or the, the younger, uh, the elder would serve the younger. And so then Isaac called Jacob, blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paran Adam and the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take for yourself a wife there from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Evidently, there was a way of communication in those days, probably not the Pony Express, but they had some way of communicating information, possibly through the caravans and different things. But uh, at this point, Isaac knew that uh, he had nephews there and he was instructing Isaac, excuse me, instructing, Isaac was instructing Jacob, don't take a wife from those around here. This, friends, is great news and great wisdom. And you as well, if you have children, if you're single, you don't want to take for yourself a wife from the people of the world. Why? They have a different philosophy of life. And I believe as we continue down this road, this world that we're on, headed for a one world order, headed for God's judgment, and most of all, God taking his church home, you want to find somebody that's 100% uh, in the same place you are spiritually and scripturally. Because again, as I believe it goes along farther and farther, the two ideologies, the ideology of God and the ideology of the world become greater, separated more and more and more. And uh, we find that in our world today, they say what is good is evil and evil is good. This is exactly what the Bible says. I don't know how burning cities is a good thing, but to the governors of California and and, uh, Washington and Oregon, as they watch their cities burn, in New York, uh, they think this is a good thing. Um, It could have been stopped the first day it started. Uh, But now we find not only there, but uh, St. Paul and uh, five miles, five straight miles of city burnt to the ground in uh, St. Paul. Uh, I had Jan Markell on the air with me on Friday on To Every Man and Answer, and she says, what uh, the area there has become is total devastation. And so the idea of what good is in the world and good in real life is, is two different things. And the Bible says, can two walk together unless they be in agreement? Don't, first of all, date non-saved people. Well, I'm going to win them to the Lord. No, you're not. And if you do, they're going to be a long way behind you spiritually before they would even be considered to be a co-equal or a partner for life for you. This is one of the great dangers. You know, there was an old saying concerning people in different religions. Date them, dunk them, and drop them. Well, I got to tell you something. That is not missionary evangelism. The thing is, what we want to be about is somebody that sees it the way we do. And so the way people are raised has a lot to do with the way and what they will do later in their life. Now, as an example, you take a person that uh, has, was raised uh, in a normal home, had d- different things in their life that, that pointed to God. Uh, you find somebody else that has that, you're going to get along probably pretty well with them. 
But you marry somebody from a completely different background, only in the Lord and only probably by a divine miracle could you stay married to them. And this is something that Isaac knew and something that Abraham knew when he told his unnamed servant to go back to the land of his fathers and go and get a a, a wife for Isaac. Now Isaac is saying the same thing to his son Jacob. Don't take for yourself a wife from around these parts. They're not good. You know, you look at some of the stuff that's on television, what people think normal is, you don't want that to be assimilated into your life. Now notice that now we find a real blessing from Isaac to Jacob. Jacob is getting ready to send uh, um, Jacob away. And so notice Isaac's blessing The last time this was going on, uh, Jacob dressed up as Esau. Uh, Now it's actually Isaac, his father, blessing him personally, knowing who he is. And he says, may God Almighty bless you. By the way, the blessing of God in your life is a very treasured thing. Don't ever take that for granted. When you realize as a Christian, as you would look at, Philippians 1.6, the very work that he's begun in you, he's going to complete it. You're under covenant with God as well. Just as, uh, just as uh, Jacob was, you're under a covenant. God's desire is to bless you, to see you do well. And what God will bless and what God will not bless is why we study the Bible and to know what God's heart is. And so he says, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples. And I give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants who are with you that you may inherit the land which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. He says, I'm going to multiply you and I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to give you the land under your feet. So Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife for himself from there, and that he, and that, and as he, uh, him, sorry, and as he blessed him and gave him charge, saying, "You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan." And that Jacob obeyed his father and mother and gone to Bedanaram. Also Esau saw that the daughter of Canaan did not please his father Isaac, nor his mother, as we remember a couple weeks back. It says that the wives of Esau were a grievance to both Isaac and Rebekah. So it says Esau then went to Ishmael, which would be um, uh, Jacob's half-brother, or maybe I should say Isaac's half-brother, and took um, Matthiah, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Naboth, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he had. Here he was trying to 
get on the good side of his parents by marrying another wife that was not from the land of Canaan. This is one of the great problems, of course, that you find that in the Bible uh, we find... um, people not doing what God wants them to do. And so the result then is that their lives go sideways. Uh, There's a blessing in doing what God wants you to do. Not only are you blessed because you're his kid, but you're doing the things which God will bless. There's a lot of things in the Bible. The Bible says God won't bless. And so we have to be very sensitive to not find ourselves involved in things that God says he abhors. And so, uh, again, to be blessed by God, be about your father's business, and God will bless you. This is what the Bible tells us. Now, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he's on his way back to his in-law's land. And so it came to pass that in a certain place he stayed there all night because the sun had set. Uh, In those days, they didn't have Motel 6s or whatever, so as the sun started setting, you just rolled your your cot out on the ground, and in this particular case, he gets a, a rock for a pillow and falls asleep. I always thought about that. I, I have been in the desert. I have slept out in along the Colorado River. Uh, I know that when you wake up in the morning, you may have many strange bedfellows with you, like scorpions and uh, all kinds of things. They look for the warmth, and so you'll find very, very strange things sometimes when you sleep out in the desert, especially on the ground. But notice it says... He took one of the stones from that place, put it under his head, and laid down in that place to sleep. Verse 12, and he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached into heaven, and there were angels of God ascending and descending on it. This is a very strange dream. As you think about it for a minute, he lays down, takes the dream, has a dream, and he sees angels going up and down. This tells me a lot about what's going on on this earth. We do know, friends, that there are demonic forces on this earth. I believe they're disembodied spirits that were cast out of heaven. We find them mentioned in the Gospels at the Managadera as an illustration. We find them many other places throughout not only the Gospels, but also the New Testament. People who were possessed that had health issues and all kinds of things. Um, that doesn't mean anybody that has a health issue has a demon. But I, 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 we do know that they can cause massive problems in human beings. We remember the man of Gadara possessed with many devils. The Bible said he had cut himself and he had had supernatural strength. And and, uh, he lived uh, in in the graveyard and he had a fascination with death. Uh, We remember Jesus delivered that man from the demons. And we find many other places in the Gospels where demons are very active on this earth. Now, I believe what has kept a lot of demonic activity out of our land is an illustration, is because we have had a Judeo-Christian background. But when you move out of the United States and you get into pagan idolatry and things, it seems that it's much more prevalent. It is becoming much more prevalent here. Somebody asked one time the question, how do you know the difference between somebody with just bad behavior and somebody with actually a demon? 
And I believe it's when it goes deep is when that gives you an understanding that there may be more to the equation than just somebody being rebellious. In other words, that there is something that has moved into him. Now, how does a person become demon-possessed? Since we're talking about angels here, I think it's uh, balanced to talk about how people get involved with the things of the underworld and become possessed. I believe God puts in every human being a natural defense against demonics and demonic activity, demon possession. But I believe through certain things that human beings can do, they can weaken that or remove that protection that God gives them. I believe uh, getting involved with the occult, whether it be Ouija boards or playing around with witchcraft or those things, we can remove ourselves from that protective layer that God gives human beings against the demonic underworld. And by doing that, they are able then to take possession. I believe uh, another gateway is through drunkenness and through getting stoned through drugs. And you'll find many, many people that uh, have even uh, some people that maybe you know that have gotten involved with drugs and have had many, many weird demonic experiences in an altered state. Why is that? Because again, the demons need someone to move into so they can facilitate what they want to do in this world. They're a spirit, but because we're in a material type world, they need a body in which they can work through. And so when a person breaks that, that natural defense down that God gives us, maybe I should say supernatural defense that God gives us, they move in. And now that individual is no longer in control of their body, their faculties, their mental capabilities. And it's very, very scary when you see somebody that is completely out of control. You know, I I remember oftentimes in the uh, hippie days, you'd see people walking down the street. And this isn't when they, they had those little white things that hang out of their ears. You ever see those things? They hang them out of their ears. And they're going down the street talking. And it looks like they're crazy, but they're really talking to somebody on the phone. Well, this is before they had those little things that hung down. They were crazy. They were talking to demons or themselves or whatever. And you still see that today. So it's a dangerous thing when a person gets involved with demonic activity. It's important that a person uh, is able to say, uh, if you're wondering whether a person is demon-possessed or just, again, bad behavior, can they say Jesus is Lord? Because you can only say Jesus is Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if they can't say it, there's something wrong. Now, again, if you ever are called upon by God to pray for somebody to get rid of a demon... You want, when you pray for them, you want to, once that demon is gone, and they'll, I, I, an experience I had, I've shared this before, but I remember I went over to uh, dinner with some people, uh, their house, they had their brother there that they felt uh, had a demon. And so acting very normal, and remember, there's different degrees of variance of intensity of demonic activity and wickedness. Some are called familiar spirits, and I believe there's because they're able to masquerade around people. And then you have, of course, the shrieking demoniac kind, like Jesus encountered uh, there at Gadara, the ones that went into the pigs. Well, this person, when we were all done, she, she said, well, can we all pray before you go? And I said, sure. And so we began to pray, and in the prayer, this brother began to make strange sounds. And the more sounds he made, the more we all continue to pray until finally the person is starting to scream. 
And so I laid hands on him and I just said, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. And he started sweating profusely and he just started sweating and reeling back and forth. And, and at that point I realized this wasn't bad behavior. This is the real deal. And it wasn't time to go get a book on how to cast out a demon. I just went back to what I learned in the Bible. In the name of Jesus, come out of him. And this guy, he, he just reeled back and forth and he rips his shirt off. And I'm going, whoa. And, and so I, I just, and, and, and then he goes, ah, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And I went, is Jesus Lord? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, say Jesus is Lord. And he goes, just like this. He goes, Jesus is Lord. And just went crazy again. I go, they all ain't out of there yet. Prayed for him some more. And about three or four times, Finally, he could say Jesus is Lord. But the most important thing is to introduce them to Jesus Christ because Jesus said, when a demon is cast out, it'll go through dry places looking for seven, seven spirits worse than himself to move back into that person. So that person, if they find that person clean and swept, they'll move back in. So there better be Jesus in there to protect them from a reinfilling of demonic power. But now let's look at it on the other side. We find the angels of God were ascending and descending. Notice the word descending. I believe that we are around angelic forces, friends. We remember that even Satan himself, when Jesus began his earthly ministry and he was led into the wilderness... Right after he was baptized, he was taken up, uh, and, and we remember that Satan took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. And Satan said to him, cast yourself down from here. For the scripture says, as he quotes from Psalms, the angels will bear thee up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now what is interesting, a couple of things. One, the devil is quoting to Jesus scripture. The devil knows the scripture. Don't ever think he doesn't. And by the way, I think this is where a lot of the cults come from because they take scripture and twist it and make it say something it doesn't say. So that's one of the reasons why just because a person knows scripture doesn't mean they're right with God because Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. Somebody asked the question one time, well, if Satan knows the scripture and he knows that ultimately in the end he's going to lose, why doesn't he just cry uncle and give up? Well, because pride has blinded his eyes to reality. And pride always blinds people to the reality of uh, the total fruition of things things. You can talk to a person that's dying of cancer on their deathbed. Do you want to accept Christ as your savior? No. Why? Because I'm going to get up out of this bed because I'm going to beat this, this cancer. No, you're not. You are in delusion right now. Pride has blinded your eyes. So the thing is, when we realize that, that Satan is this one who deceives people, Satan uses scripture, and so he used it against Jesus. But the Bible says the angels will bear you up. That tells me, as he quotes out of the Psalms, that there are angels around to help you and protect you. The Bible does say that we have protective angels around us, especially you as God's property. And so you want to remember that these angels that are going up and going down, I believe, are ministering spirits to those who love God. We also know in the Bible that angels were used to bring judgment on people and judgment upon nations. In fact, we know that, that two of them put a whole army out of business. 
as they were attacking uh, the nation of Israel, uh, Samaria. So when we understand God's great, God's good, God has angelic beings, and there is a pathway somewhere where they're going up and down to communicate and to bring help to us. Now, does that mean we pray to a guardian angel? Never. We are only to pray to God, God and him only. I know that there's books written, well, I talked to my guardian angel, he sat on the edge of my bed. No, no, no. That's junk stuff. Don't, don't buy into that. But there are angels. And there's angels that I believe do those things which God has called them to do. And I do believe that we are under divine protection as a child of God. And so it says, Behold, the Lord stood above it, And said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and in the land on which you lie, I will give give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants will be as the dust of the earth. You shall be spread abroad to the west, to the east, north, and south. And in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And of course, through the descendants of Jacob came Jesus Christ. And through him, all the families of the world would be blessed. And so we have that promise. This is why we find those oftentimes boring lineages that are in the Bible. And thus and thus begat thus and so, and thus and so begat thus and so. And you say, why is that in the Bible? It's boring. Well, the reason why it's in there is to show you that there is a true uh, bloodline for Jesus Christ being our Messiah as it came through Mary. And then we find the descendants of Joseph, which gave Jesus the royal line. Though Joseph wasn't really Jesus' father, it gave him the royal line or the ability to accede to the throne through Joseph. People oftentimes ask the difference, well, why is the, the two lineages in the gospel different? Because one is the lineage of Mary, the other is the lineage of Joseph. Well, why are they there? One is the bloodline to prove 100% that through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And number two, that he had a rightful place to accede the throne as God said he would. And so we find here, I'm the God of Abraham, the father of and the God of Isaac. Now, again, we find God speaking to Isaac. We find God speaking to Abraham. Now he's speaking to Joseph as well. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now this is really interesting here. God blessed him, and I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Isn't that, isn't that a neat thing that God keeps us? Do you realize as a child of God, nothing happens to you unless God allows it? Where you say, well, God, if, if you allowed this and you love me, this was very uncomfortable and very miserable. And why did you allow it? I don't know, but God has a big plan, a lot bigger than we do. You look all the way through the Bible. If this hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened. And if this wouldn't have happened, then that wouldn't have happened. And that's the way it is with our life. You know, sometimes I remember <clears throat> I asked the Lord, I had a flat tire one time and I was belly aching and going on and on. 
And I remember that I took the tire in and had the tire changed. And while I was there, the guy, this guy asked me, this happened a couple of times, happened to me over a twisted off agitator in a washing machine too. But the thing is, the guy starts talking to me. He said, oh, you're the pastor of, of the river. And I said, yeah. And he just started telling me all of his life problems. And I was able to minister to him. And I looked at that tire with a nail in it. And I thought, you know, God, you have a way of getting us where you want us to be no matter what it takes. Did God really care about the tire with the nail in it? No. A thousand years from now, the tire with the nail in it ain't going to matter. But me being where I could talk to this individual about the Lord will matter in a thousand years. You see, we're temporal in our mentality. God's eternal in his understanding concerning us. And so I really believe that as God moves us around, does these things, it's an inconvenience sometimes. Why did this have to happen? But God's got a bigger plan because you're his kid, you're his ambassador, and God, whatever it takes to move us where you want us to be, just do it. Well, you're going to find something here interesting about Jacob. You know, Uh, We talked last week about how everybody was dirty, sneaky, thieving, everybody. You know, Rebecca comes up with the plan to steal the birthright. Uh, You know, uh, Jacob goes along with it. Uh, Esau, who had actually sold it for a a mess of pottage, he, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, didn't really own it either. And everybody's lying, everybody. And we find that even then, God still brought forth his will as exactly as he said it would be. And here concerning Jacob, you're going to see something that God makes this incredible covenant with him. I'll bless, no, again, it says, and I, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land for I will not leave you literally forever until I have done all which I have spoken to you. I love this. God makes him a promise. Now, wouldn't it be great in the Bible if it read the way fairy tales go? But it doesn't always work that way. It would be really neat that um, then Jacob said, so be it, sounds good to me. No, he doesn't say that. Why? Because Jacob, in many ways, is just like us. You see... God just makes him a deal. You know, is it a program, deal or no deal or whatever it was? And and, and here God makes him a deal. Hey, I'm going to bless you wherever you go. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring you back here. You're going to inherit the land. That was God's deal to him. Notice Joseph's response. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now, I think that's good. He didn't say, surely God was in this place, like during the dream, but he said, surely God is in this place. Real quick, do you realize everywhere you go, God is? Really important to realize. God is not tied to a building on a Sunday morning, or a Wednesday night, 
or some other place. God is with you everywhere. David said, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. Where can I go to get out of your presence? Really important. Where you go, the spirit of God, the kingdom of God is. He, Jesus said, don't marvel. He says, oh, the, the saying the kingdom is here or there. The kingdom of God comes within you. Why is that? Because where you go, the kingdom of God reigns. You bring, listen to this. This is not positive confession. This isn't a pie in the sky. This is right now. Where you go, you bring a piece of heaven into the circumstance. Isn't that great to know? The kingdom of God, Jesus said, comes within you. Where you go, you bring the kingdom of God. Well, notice this. He recognizes now that God is everywhere. He's growing in his faith, friends. Good news. Pray we all grow in our faith. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. I wonder how many times we forget that God is present with us wherever we go. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Now, actually, this is where his theology fails. (laughs) Because he says, how awesome is this place? No, how awesome is God? God is everywhere. He's not just, well, okay, God, I'll come back and see you next week. But notice he says, Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set up a pillar and poured oil on it. And he called the name of that place Bethel because the name of the city had been Lutz previously. Bethel, hmm. Great place. Place where God met him. It's interesting, even that when you get to Genesis 31, it was a place where God was doing things. But by the time of kings, Bethel had become a place of pagan idolatry and every foul thing. Bethel became a nightmare. And it is interesting that many things start off like Bethel, a good thing, and because of time, it becomes corrupted and offering strange fire. Well, this is one of the problems that happened. So he says, call the name of the place Bethel uh, because it's been previously Lutz. Now, Jacob made a vow. Now, remember, God has already made a vow with him. What was that vow again? Behold, I'm with you, verse 15, wherever you go, I will bring you back to the land. I will not leave you until I've done all that I have spoken to you. Then Jacob made a vow saying, and this is where I just wish Jacob just would have said, God, you said it, I believe it, that's the end of it. But notice that is not what he says. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God, you will be with me, And keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I can come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. Whoa. If you do it my way, God, we got a deal. Deal or no deal, okay. Well, here's the problem. 
God already said, wherever you go, I'm going to take care of you. God is always better at promises, friends, than we are. God has already said, I've made a covenant with you. And now Jacob is trying to make another covenant saying, well, if you perform for me, uh, then then, then you'll be my God. Now, here's what's important here. God used him to accomplish his will. This morning, I believe, really, I believe most of you have more faith than Jacob did. I do. You accepted Christ as your Savior. You say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with my eternity forever. Now, if I can just work on trusting you every day for my daily life, that's what we got to work on. You know, I, I know a lot of people like that. They have trouble trusting God from paycheck to paycheck, but they trust God with their eternal salvation being in heaven someday. And what's really more important? You being in heaven someday. So everything else would be lesser. God says, I'm going to take care of you no matter where you go. And you find Jacob trying to make a backdoor deal when God has already said, I have already said I'd do that. Notice again, then the Lord shall be my God. If you'll do this, you'll give me clothes on my back, give me food to eat, uh, and, and be with me on the way. Uh, then, then we have a deal. You see something a little bit wrong here? But yet God used him to accomplish his will. You know, a lot of times we think as Christians, well, um, I, I, I'm not good enough for God to use me. I think we've all felt that. I, I have in my life. Because we oftentimes will focus on the failures of our life rather than God's anointing on the things that he led us into that we did for him. Friends, this morning I want you to think about something. All the things wrong you did in your past are under the blood of Christ. When we look back, we see the blood of Jesus. We look forward, we see a risen Savior. And this morning, I I just, if, if there's a way that we could... Say, God, I want to see life through your eyes, not through mine. Jacob's problem here, he was still seeing it through his own eyes. He didn't realize, though he had all these anointing and blessings in his life, he still did not realize who he was. I pray that today you understand who you are in Jesus. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And because of that reason, God brings to us something greater than ourselves, greater than our own failures. He brings himself. And God says, in spite of your failures, I'm going to still bless you. And I'm still going to use you. I look at this as a very unusual thing that Jacob is trying to make a deal with God After God says, hey, I already love you. Wherever you go, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for everything. Everything in the deal that Jacob was trying to make was covered in what God had already said. If he had just said, okay, God, you got me. But then he starts making a deal with him. We don't have to make deals with God. I know a lot of people do. Well, God, you know, if you'll do this for me, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll give $1,000 in the offering. You know, we have all these little deals we want to make with God. God just says, I love you, period. 
See, the appeasement was done through Jesus Christ on the cross. You always notice in the religions of the world, they're always trying to appease God by feeling beads, burning incense, wearing certain kind of clothes, selling flowers in their port. You name it, they'll be out there doing it. Trying to appease God. God's already happy with you. You know, you always think about that. You know, have you ever been at aught with somebody? Or you owed the bank some money, or you owed somebody something? And you say to yourself, man, if there was just somebody I could trust that could go and fix the problem, that they could bring my case to them and explain to them that, oh, I'll pay you, I'll get it all straightened out. I, I need a, I need an ambassador. I need a go-between. I need somebody that's got my back that's going to that's gonna make this right with this person that's mad at me. That's what God does. That's what Jesus already did. Jesus already built. So when you get around that person that you're worried about, it isn't they're going, I'm going to get you. God goes, already taken care of. I love you. So, makes this deal. God makes a deal. I'm going to take care of you. Everything's done. I'm your ambassador. Everything's good. And Jacob is still wheeling and dealing. Okay, well then you'll be my God. God still used him. Friends, God's going to use you because you love him. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And he says, then, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. Here it's interesting, before any Levitical law talked about a tenth or anything like that, 10% or whatever, we just find Jacob saying, I just want to give you something. I'll give you a tenth of whatever I have. You know, there's a lot of abuse that has gone on in the church with offerings and ministers driving Lexuses and Rolex watches and all that kind of stuff. If that's what God has called them to do, then that's between them and God, and God will judge them on judgment day. But I want to tell you something about this. You, 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 first of all, Jesus said, uh, by their fruit you will know them. So where we're not to be judges, we can be fruit inspectors. So you want to look at the fruit in an individual's life or a ministry or even in your own life for that matter. That gives you a pretty good understanding if you're on the right path or not. The second thing is that I want to support where I see God's blessing at. Because again, I don't want to support something that God is not behind. And so he says, surely I'll give a tenth to you. Being about your father's business. Now always remember this, and I have found this over and over again. God does more with a blessed 90% than you will ever do with 100 or 150 or 200%. People have oftentimes said, Mike, you know where the deals are. I said, I don't know where the deals are, but I know the one who knows where the deals are. You see, God knows what you need before you ask, the Bible says. And so if there is something that I need, I can say, God, this is what I need, and I watch God supply it. Now, God does many different things the way he does that. Sometimes you'll be on your way to the store to buy something and there'll be a yard sale sign. You'll stop and here's a brand new one laying on the table for 10 cents instead of $20. And you walk away going, wow, God, that's awesome. How do you do that? 
That's God's provision. See, God knows what we need before we ask. That piece of glass you almost ran over with your car tire would have cost you $100 to get your tire fixed. You missed it. See, God knows how to protect us. God does more with a blessed 90% than we'll ever do with a full 100%. So I have no problem giving God 10%. In fact, it's really neat to give God more than that because, again, giving is part of a, a, a Christian heart, realizing that God is the one that's shoveling it in. I can shovel it out. God keeps saying, I'll give you more. So this is a place, interestingly enough, in Malachi where God says, test me and I'll show you that it's true. You can't outgive me. Now, I don't believe we just give money anywhere. I, I do believe that you want to find what God is blessing. I, I, I think the Bible's pretty clear on that. And there's three ways of giving. There is tithe, there's offerings, and almsgiving. You go, what's that? Well, tithe is 10% of what we make. We give to God. Offering is above the 10%. That might be for special ministries, things like that, things that, that go on. Almsgiving is something that's not necessarily tied to money, but tied to you. Like, in other words, your next door neighbor broke his leg, and so you go over and you mow his lawn for him. That's almsgiving. God sees that. You give somebody something because they're hungry or whatever. God sees that. I, I've, I've shared this so many times. I'm very leery now about giving people. Uh, you see people with signs up, we'll work for food. And you go up and say, I had actually a friend out south of town here that said, hey, um, uh, we're picking rock in the field to uh, uh, the rocks keep working up. So come work in our field. We'll give you money. And the guy goes, no, I make more money here begging. He, 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 he wouldn't work for food, though his sign said he would. Um, so I don't usually do that. But if somebody's hungry, I've done this many times. I'll take them into a restaurant or whatever, like a fast food place or something, buy them a hamburger or whatever. If I give them money, they're going to go buy drugs and buy another gallon of vino. But I, if, if, I, if I just go and take care of them, then I know that, that. And then while you're doing that, you share Jesus with them. But there, there's a lot of ways to give. And we as Christians should be giving people because God looks for people he can bless. In turn, will bless others. That's the way God works. Jacob realized that a blessing of God, he goes, I want to give you something back. And I, I really believe, everyone, that we have a lot to give back to God. Begin with praying. And just say, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. You know, I know there's a lot of things we don't have. We look at what everybody else may or may not have. We go, oh, God, I want that, I want that, I want that. God supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory, not according to our wants. Jacob was a person that we see here, was a man who knew God, growing in his faith, said some pretty strange things. Previous chapter did some pretty strange things. God still used him. The point this morning is God will use you. You say, but God, I'm, I'm not perfect. God says, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for you. I like that. This morning, if you've not given your life to God, and you've used an excuse, well, God, I'm not good enough. When I get better, I'll come to you. You're, that's a, that's a cop-out. That's a lie. Because God says, I'll take you just as you are, as the old song goes, just as I am, without one reservation, without one plea. That's what it means. I'm coming to you just as I am. I'm giving you me for what I am. God, I'll take you at your word. Behold, I'm with you to keep you wherever you go. God, sold. 
I'll take the deal. Deal or no deal, I pray today you make your deal with God. You say, okay, I'm going to give you something, God, that I can't keep my life. For something I will never lose your eternal blessing and eternal life. If you're tired of the way you've lived, maybe you spent the last 10 years and you don't want another 10 years like you just had, I just want to invite you to pray this morning. And say, okay, God, from this day forward, I'm going to give you my heart and give you my life. And whatever I have left is yours. And you'll be amazed what God will do with you. Not only will God use your natural abilities, but he'll use and give you supernatural abilities to be about your father's business. So if you want to pray, let's pray. If you're listening on radio, internet, let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I ask you to make me the best I can be for you. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. And your blood took away all my sins. So now write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to love and have boldness for you. And Lord, from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayed that welcome to God's family.